0: First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4 through 10. I'm reading out of the New International version. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. These. Verses in 1 Thessalonians talk to us about faith, the gospel, and what happens when we embrace this gospel and this faith and what it does to us. And I want to talk to you about three things that happen when you embrace this faith that is worth following. Uh, I want to, if you're taking notes, jot this down. It's about believing, mentoring, and changing. Number one, this faith, if you embrace it, this gospel, if you choose to embrace this gospel that we're talking about, the first thing that happens is a, gospel, a faith worth following believes in the dynamic power of the gospel. Notice what Paul says in verse 4. He says, for we know brothers loved by God. I love that. He says, hey, we know First of all, that you are loved, loved by God. Hey, did you know that? Look up at me a second. Did you know this morning as you drove into this place, you're sitting in the seat that you're sitting? Did you know that today you are loved by God? No, no, no. I don't think you understood what I'm saying. That God knows your name, that God knows your story, that God knows all your gook and issues, And he still loves you. That means that he desires the best for your life. He knows everything about you, the thoughts of your mind, the attitudes of your heart, yet he has chosen to love you. What an incredible thing it is to be loved by God. You are loved by God, he says. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you chosen you you see I run into some people that once in a while say this and I understand the expression I found God two years ago when I was going through a tough time and and I understand what you mean when you say you found God but here's the thing God was never lost hello (laughs) so it's not like oh there he was. he was lost I found him no 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 God was never lost and secondly it's not you that found God It's God that found you he reached out to you in fact here's the way it goes theologians call it the depravity of man you and I in our own sin we are so broken so depraved so fallen in our nature that we in and of ourselves can't even call or search or want God we're like a dead person It's the equivalent of a dead body getting up and going and playing in the Bears game today. It's just not going to happen. Spiritually speaking, you and I were dead in our sin. Even if you wanted to, you wouldn't seek after God. The only way that you even wanted God is that God has reached out to you via His Holy Spirit, awakened you to Himself, awakened you to even give you the desire to want Him and seek Him and to pray after Him. You see, your discovering God is a work of God. God reached out to you before you ever reached out to him. That's the way it always works. So you are chosen of God. You say, well, pastor, now now we don't have time today to get into election and predestination and all that that entails because I'd have to have a whole message on that. But I just want you to understand that God chose you, reached out to you, elected you, called you forth, and you have responded to his love towards him. You're responding to his calling you out from wherever you were at. And you didn't even know that he was calling, but he was calling You didn't even know that he sent that person that first talked to you. You didn't even know that it was God's design, but it was God who did it. You didn't even know that God allowed that tragedy in your life so you would wake up to him. You didn't even know that God let you get low, low, low so finally you would reach up and look to the heavens and say, God, I need you. But God in his foreknowledge, God in his love, God in his sovereignty has chosen you, knew you before you knew him. Loved you before you loved him. He has reached out and called you unto himself. What an incredible thing it is to be chosen and called by God. It's an incredible thing. And he tells these believers, hey, you are loved by God and he has chosen you. Another part of scripture says he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. God knew that you would be and God chose you unto himself. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something about being chosen that just makes you feel good, doesn't it? Were you ever in a junior high team and they're selecting teams and they pick two captains and everybody stands in a line and this guy says, I choose you and choose you and choose you? Were you ever one of those that were last to be chosen? There's something about being chosen that I, I want you. And the Bible says that God is choosing you, saying, I want you, calling you out unto himself. And the way he calls us out unto himself is through the gospel. And this is what he says. Listen, because, verse four, verse five, because our gospel, the gospel means good news, came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You see, this thing that we call the gospel, the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. But it's more than just words. It has to start with words. They tell us that most people do not respond to the gospel until they've heard it at least seven times. Most people don't respond the first time they hear the gospel. They have to hear it through a friend and then maybe hear it on the radio and then maybe be in a Bible study and they hear it. And then someone else uh, talks to them about it again. And finally, it takes an average of seven times of hearing the gospel before people actually respond to it. But, But what Paul is saying is that the gospel that came to you, it's not just about words. It's not about a talking head. It's not just about spiritual data. You've all heard spiritual lectures, right? Or classroom lectures. And sometimes a lecture is just information that you write notes on, but it doesn't affect you. You leave the lecture and all you have is notes in a binder, but it hasn't changed you, impacted you, moved you. It does nothing to your life. You've heard spiritual lectures as well. You could say, well, that was boring. Well, that was long. Well, that was good. Well, I got some notes on that. The gospel is much more than a spiritual lecture. He says, for the gospel, when it came to you, it came to you not only in words. I believe that the gospel has to go forth in words. Uh, some of us are fond of quoting what Francis of Assisi supposedly said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that? That means, hey, let your good work speak for yourself. I don't really believe that someone can clearly understand the gospel just when you live a good life. I believe that you have to speak the gospel in order for people to understand the gospel. If you're just a good person that once in a while shovels your neighbor's snow and uh, picks up his paper and... And, 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 and says hi to him and make sure that you, when his garage is left open, you call him up and say, hey, your garage door was left open, but you never say anything about Jesus, you never talk about your faith, then all that person is going to think is, my, are they a good neighbor? They must have been raised by really, really good parents. They are a good, upstanding, moral individual. Praise be to them they're going to think you're just good because you're good. They don't know that deep inside you're a rotten old dirty sinner, but it's only the grace of Jesus and his love and his power that has made you good. And so when you start talking about your faith, when you start sharing who you are, then they start making the connection. Oh, they are good because Of Jesus, not because they are good naturally. What's made them different is that they have a living, authentic relationship with God. I don't have that. I want the Jesus that they have. You have to use words. People have to know why you are the way you are because you use the words to explain your relationship with God. But the Apostle Paul says, the gospel came to you not in words only. Only. Words are not enough, though. He says, because our gospel came to you not simply in words, but also with power. Listen, if the gospel is going to go out to change life, it has to come with power. You know what power is? Power is influence. Power is a force that changes us. If you're here and you hear this teaching today, and you walk out of this place and you're the same, and you come back next week and you hear the teaching and you're the same, And you hear the teaching over and over and over, and it's just the same. I'm going to tell you something. You have not yet been touched by the power of God. Because the power of God changes us. You cannot experience the full gospel without being changed by that gospel. What is that power? Hey, if I were just a lecturer here and get up giving you nice lectures, I would have given this up a long time ago. I don't believe lectures change anyone. I believe the power of God changes people. When I come come to teach on Sundays, this is not just, oh, I I do my preparation. I study. I get ready. But I'm going to tell you it's not just preparing notes. It's preparing my heart as well. Because I know what happens here is something spiritual. Spiritual. I know that what happens here is that sometimes people's life and destiny are in the balance here. I know that that what happens here is the power of God is present. And when you and I allow the power of God to get a hold of us, we cannot be the same. I believe the power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is here every morning. Every Sunday morning when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is here and can change you, resurrect you, transform your heart, change your marriage, restore your heart to where it needs to be. There is nothing beyond God's power to change because his resurrection power can raise anybody from the dead. it came with the Word. It came with power. And he says, but also with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, some people confuse what the Holy Spirit is. They think he's just a force or a power. But the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit that brings all of Jesus to your body. When we call people forward to this altar and people give their life to Jesus Christ, people rise up and some people say, well, I received Christ, Jesus Christ today. And technically you did. But who lives inside of you is the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in your body and your soul. It's the Holy Spirit that starts convicting you about sin. It's the Holy Spirit that starts making you long for the things of God. It's the Holy Spirit that causes you to want to cry out Daddy as you look at God. It's the Holy Spirit that starts to tell you what you're doing is wrong even though no one's ever told you that it's wrong. You know it's wrong. Why? Because it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's God inside of you 24 hours a day giving you the power to be changed into the person that he's called you to be. That's the Holy Spirit. So the gospel comes to you not just words only but with power and it comes to you with the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, I got saved but I didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. Oh, let me say that again. Well, pastor, I got saved but I just don't have the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is necessary in order for you to change. It's the Holy Spirit that brings about the desire to change. It's the Holy Spirit that is the force that works inside of you. Listen. You give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. When you walk out of these doors, you're not going to be surrounded by Christians your whole time. You go to work, and everybody's swearing. You go to the neighborhood, and everybody's drinking. You go to the old friends, and everybody's watching porn or whatever they do. You, You go around, and it's all around you, but suddenly something's different. You may not have your brothers and sisters around you. You may not have the church around you, but you carry inside of you a power A force, a person, a compass, a conviction. He's called the Holy Spirit of God. Where you go, where you talk, how you walk, the Holy Spirit says, you belong to me now. The Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So whatever you do with your body, you do with the temple. When the gospel comes, it comes not only with words, it comes with power, and it comes with the Holy Spirit, and, third, and fourthly, it comes with conv- with great conviction, it says. Look at what it says. It says, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know what conviction is? Conviction is a deep sense of of passion about something. Uh, conviction is this inexplainable but deep assurance of God's love and redemption. W- when you don't know God, the Holy Spirit comes with conviction and you start feeling bad about how you're living. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and he brings conviction to an un- unredeemed world. How many of you know before you came to God, you felt at times like there was something missing, like you should come to God, that there was something driving you to God? You felt bad about how you were living and what you were doing. You know who, who, who brought that to your life? The Holy Spirit. That's called conviction. As a believer, when you start living in God and you say things you shouldn't, have you ever felt that sting in your soul? You say something, and you feel that sting. You do something and you feel something inside of you saying, that's not you. You know what that's called? Conviction. No one gave you a list of rules when you come to Christ. You come to Christ and we don't give you a rule book with 250 rules, thou shalt not do and thou shalt do. And here's a list of words you don't say and here's a list of words you can say. No one ever does that in this place. You know why? I don't need to. As long as you have the Holy Spirit, I don't need to give you a bunch of rules. You know why? Because I know that you will be convicted by the Holy Spirit that follows you wherever you go, that walks with you wherever you go. And when you start getting out of line, the Holy Spirit's going to start saying, hey, that's not you. You're a child of the living God. I've saved you, redeemed you, cleaned you. I've made you into a new person. That's the old you, but now you are a new you. That's called Conviction. The gospel of Jesus comes not only in words, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with deep, deep conviction. Listen to me well. Hear me well. Receiving Christ doesn't have to be emotional, but it does have to be deep within your soul, the conviction of sin. It's not like, I think I'll receive Jesus today. All right, Jesus, here I am. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. You come to Jesus, he breaks you down. You feel convicted by how you've offended him and how you've lived your life. And there's a desperate desire to wanna change and live for God. That's called deep conviction. The gospel of God goes forward. If you have received the gospel, it comes that way. I love what Paul says. Because you know, you know that sometimes we think that when we share the gospel with people, this message that changes lives, sometimes we think that it has to be in a lot of eloquent speech and there has to be a lot of wisdom and uh, philosophy behind it. I've run into some people that come to me and say, Pastor, well, I don't share the gospel yet because I'm not sure I have the words to say What needs to be said, and I don't speak up because what if they ask me a hard question and I don't know how to answer? How many of you have felt that way before? What if they want to pray and I barely know how to pray? What if they ask me a hard question out of the Bible and I say, uh, let me call Pastor Mark. Can I relieve your fears? I love what the Apostle Paul says. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In fact, I believe sometimes when you're too smart, too eloquent, too full of philosophy, that it may take the power out of the gospel. Oh, I think you should do your preparation. And I think you should study. And I think you should know the word. But here's what I want you to understand. The power of the gospel doesn't travel through human wisdom. The power of the gospel travels through vessels that are broken and willing to be used by him. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is where Paul was writing Thessalonians from. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved that I would know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I didn't want to come to you as some wise, eloquent, full of wisdom person. All I wanted to know is Jesus. I wanted to come to you simply preaching the message of Jesus. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul says, I didn't come to you strong, bold, eloquent, full of power. Man, I came broken. I came beat up. I came frail. Not with a lot of wisdom. I came trusting God. How many of you know when you're broken, frail, and weak, man, you have to lean on God heavy. And Paul says, that's how I came to you. That my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest in men's wisdom, but on God's power. I want you to hear me well. Look up at me, church. Look up at me. Listen. Your faith should never rest on the eloquence or the wisdom of man. Your faith should rest in the power of God. Paul says, I don't want you to say, I believe in Jesus because he's a smart God.'" I want you to say, I believe in Jesus because God has power to change me through that simple message of the cross. Listen, when you, when you open up your mouth to speak of Jesus, you don't have to be a philosopher. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a degree, a seminary degree. All you have to know is I'm weak. I'm unable, but I know Jesus has changed me. And I will open up my mouth and let the power of God flow through me so that other people can hear Jesus is alive and well and able to change whoever calls upon his name. Secondly, not only is this kind of faith a faith worth following, one that believes in the power of God, Secondly, a faith worth following mentors people for transformation. Look what it says at the end of of verse 5. It says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. It's not just about the words that you speak, it's about the life that you live. Paul says, we brought the gospel to you, and we talked about the gospel, but you saw his power. You saw the Holy Spirit moving. You saw the deep conviction of our soul. But this wasn't just about words. This was about a lifestyle. You see, the greatest platform that you have to share the gospel is your lifestyle. And Paul said, you know how we lived among you. You saw us up close. We're not charlatans. We're not tricksters. We're not trying to deceive you. You saw our lifestyle and you saw us up close and you saw that we're truly trying to live for God. Let me dispel a myth that I often hear. Some people that I run into that are no longer going to church tell me, well, pastor, I don't go to church. I don't go to any church because in my opinion, churches are full of hypocrites. How many of you have heard that? How many of you have said that? Alright, come on. We're being honest here now. We're being honest. We're being honest. Can I dispel that myth? A hypocrite is a person that says that... A hypocrite is a person that doesn't acknowledge that they have need in their life. They have problems, but they act like they have no problems and they're not honest with their problems. That's a hypocrite. A person that has issues that's in church trying to follow God, as long as they're honest, they're never a hypocrite. Because, hey, it's the same like saying, hey, those people in the hospital are a bunch of hypocrites. They're in a hospital to get well and they're all sick. (laughs) Yeah? I mean, isn't it? Why we go to a hospital because we're sick? They're only a hypocrite if they're really sick and they're saying, oh, I'm not sick. I'm healthy. I'm well. Why are you in the hospital? Oh, just because I'm here to see the other patients that really need. But me, no, I'm not sick. That's a hypocrite. Listen, people that know they have issues and are honest about their issues are in the house of God dealing with their issues. That is not hypocrisy. That is life. That's life. So, as long as we're clear on that, you have issues, I have issues, he has issues, and he really has issues over there. Now you're looking over there and say, Who is he talking to, pastor? So, let's just so we're all on the same page. Why don't you say out loud, I have issues? I have issues. A lot of issues. issues. Now, turn to the person beside you and say, I have issues. I have issues. Oh, they know it. If it's your spouse beside behind you, they're saying, yeah, yeah, let me tell you what your issues are. I got a list of 100 I'm going to tell you about. Let me tell you, you, better never stop coming to church, the house of God, just because you have issues. You stop coming when you're unwilling to deal with your issues. When you say, I'm not going to deal with them, I'm not going to change, I don't care what anybody says, then you might as well stay away because no one's going to change you. If you have issues and you're willing to deal with your issues and you're willing to be honest about your issues and you're willing to get prayer and willing to repent and willing to cry out to God and willing to seek the face of God, then you, hey, you are welcome. Welcome in this place come on I'm not afraid of your issues I'm not afraid of your issues and neither is God he's not afraid of your issues and Paul said we lived among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit it's interesting that Paul says you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Is that even right? How many of you have heard, hey, you should never, imi- you should never follow a man, only follow Jesus? And I, I believe that's true to an extent. My kids, they're going to look, I can tell them, hey, kids, don't look at dad, just look at Jesus. Jesus. That's a cop-out. Because really, God has put me in a place as a parent so that my kids learn from me, and I should influence them. And as a father, I should be able to tell my sons, sons, follow my example. Watch what I do. I'm not perfect, but follow my example because I'm following Jesus. And if I'm following Jesus and you're following my example, you're going to be more like Jesus because you follow me because I'm trying to live for God. If you tell your kids, hey kids, I'm your dad, you follow Jesus. Don't mind that I'm getting drunk on the weekends. Don't mind that I'm blankety blank that wife of mine. Don't don't mind that I'm swearing at at your wife. Don't mind that I'm cheating. Hey, hey, don't don't follow me. Follow Jesus. That's a cop-out if I ever heard a cop-out. Seriously. Paul says, you became imitators of me and of the Lord. Another place in scripture, Paul says, follow my example as I followed Jesus. There has to be a place in the church where spiritual men and women arise with maturity, with foundation, with a love for God. That you and I and new believers can look at and say, I'm following Jesus, but I'm going to learn how to be like Jesus as I learn from this woman of God or for this man of God. Because I need to see a Jesus with flesh and blood on him. And Paul was saying, I'm living for God, so it's okay if you imitate me. I'm not perfect, and I never will be perfect, but, but follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Oh, I pray for men and women of God in this church like that. I pray for men and women of God that I can tell our teenagers, hey, look at that guy. Oh, he's not perfect, but follow his example. Man, you'll be a lot more like Jesus when you follow that. Hey, look at that woman of God. Hey, young ladies learning how to be married. You know, the Bible says, let the older women teach the younger women about marriage and godliness. Hey, I pray that we have some older women that are living for God and walking in God, that have learned through perseverance that they love Jesus, and I know they're not perfect, but, but, but that some of the young women can look at them and say, hey, if I follow their example, I'll be a lot more godly because they're a lot more like Jesus than I am right now. I pray for that kind of maturity we need it in the church. I pray that I'll be able to tell, tell you with a clear and honest conscience. Hey, I want to be able to say to the men, hey men, follow my example as a father. I want to be an example to the men of this church of what it means to be a godly dad. I want to be an example to the men of this church and what it means to be a godly husband. To cultivate my relationship with my wife and love her lead my kids. I want to be an example of what it means to be a godly man. I want to be able to say, hey, follow my example as I follow Jesus, with clarity and integrity of heart. Because I believe that we we need leaders and mentors and spiritually mature people that we can rise up and imitate their behavior as long as we understand they're not perfect and imitate their behaviors, they follow Jesus. And that's what Paul said. This gospel led him, called him to, to rise up and be a mentor to these people. And he says, "You welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. You see the kingdom of God. It tells us in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is, a matter of, is not a matter of eating and drinking. Some of you are disappointed with that. You say, oh, I wanted the kingdom to be about eating or drinking. Not a lot of potlucks in the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of e- eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You want to see if people are living in the kingdom of God, then you'll see people that are righteous and others are living in the right way. They have peace and contentment inside, and they have joy in the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's okay to be happy and have joy in God. It's okay to clap and rejoice. It's okay to laugh and smile. It's okay to, be, to have the energy of God, even in the church of God. Do you realize that? Because that's the culture of the kingdom of God. How many of you have ever been to church and felt like a funeral home? you started thinking, well, you know, when, the people, when you go to church or religious gathering, everybody has to be real somber and sad and quiet, almost like we drank lemon juice before coming to church. I don't believe that. I believe that our culture should be energized with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I believe that there should be right living and peace, but joy that gives us energy to accomplish things for the kingdom of God. That's the culture of the kingdom. And he says, and I close with this, and he says, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Because you followed my example, and because the gospel got a hold of you now, other people have heard of your testimony and your life, and listen, the message has gone out, and a lot of people have heard about you. And then it closes with this, and I, oh, I wish I could preach this. So you're going to have to hang on and listen for the last couple of minutes, because this is really, really important. Thirdly, a faith worth following us, a faith worth following, changes us so dramatically that people talk about it. Verse 8, he says, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith has become known everywhere. You know what he's saying? Is when the gospel got a hold of you, it got a hold of you so powerfully, so deeply, your change was so dramatic that it has, the, the literal word there is reverberated. People are hurt about you because your change has been so dramatic. I'm going to mess up someone's drum set here. You, know, you want to know what reverberation is? You see, I believe that all of us have a testimony and all of us have a sound, a sound of God. God. When the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, there was a sound of the Holy Spirit, a wind, and it came on and filled them, and they could not contain their testimony because God changed them so dramatically that everybody heard. The Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, the gospel got a hold of you so strongly that everywhere I go, people have heard about you. I don't even have to tell them your testimony. Your testimony has already gotten there. People have heard through a cousin of a cousin of a nephew of a neighbor that they've heard what God has done. Let me ask you about your testimony. How much has your testimony reverberated? You see, I believe that naturally your testimony will reverberate unless something is muffling the noise of it. This symbol is engineered to reverberate. To make a loud sound. Unless something muffles the noise. If I hold it and muffle it, then it sounds like this. That doesn't sound too good. Doesn't sound like a lot of people are getting attention by that. If there was a room full of high school students in the cafeteria making a lot of noise and I said, Listen up. No one would pay attention. (laughs) But if I have nothing to... if, If I have nothing that's muscling the noise, and I say, listen up. Hey, now the sound is sounding loud and clear. Why? Because nothing is muffling the noise. Here's the way it is with you and I. The Apostle Paul said, Your testimony has reverberated all over the place. They report the reception that you gave us, and they tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Listen to me well. I'm going to close with this. What muffles the testimony of your life is when you still have idols in your life that you are unwilling to get rid of. When you have... Oh, you say, Pastor, I don't have any idols. There's no statues in my life. I don't bow. No, 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 no. There, an idol is anything that competes with the kingship and lordship of God. If your buddies are as important to you as God is, it muffles your testimony. If your habits are more important to you than God is, or just as important influence your life, then it's muzzled your testimony. If you yourself and your dreams and your pursuit are not under the lordship of Jesus, then it is an idol in your life and it muzzles your testimony. Anything in your life that competes with the lordship of Jesus Christ muzzles your testimony and your testimony does not reverberate with the sound of God in it because when Jesus is king, everything, everything in our life is submitted to his lordship. He is high and lifted up. Nothing comes close to the dominion, the power, and the place that he has in our life. If anything in your life influences you more than the kingship of Jesus, if anything in your life has more influence than God, If your boyfriend influences you more than God, then you have an idol. If your job is more important and your success than God, then you have an idol. If your addiction is more important and drives your life more than God, then you have an idol. If sports influence and dictate your life more than God, then you have an idol. Jesus will not compete with idols. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords.